been in a series on the life of Moses. I call Moses the man of God. And today we're going to look at a message I call overcoming the past. Let's stand together as we reverence the reading of God's word this morning. Exodus chapter 4 and verse 12. Now therefore go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. But he said, oh my Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else. You may send. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well, and look, he is also coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart, and now you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and I will teach you what you shall do. May God bless the reading of his word today is my prayer. You may be seated. Moses was the first to carry this title, the man of God. We see one of yet another of those times, as we saw last week, when God said now, now to Moses. This passage, in a way, is carrying through from what we saw last week. And it could all be considered under the heading of the call of Moses the call of Moses, uh, something that was recorded not only in Moses, but in many, many of the other prophets of the Old Testament, where God began their story by talking about when he called them uh, to be his spokesman, uh, to be his prophets. Uh, our text actually represents the last part of this story around the burning bush experience that Moses had on Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai so long ago. And uh, though this is the text of the message, it's really just showing us where we're headed. Before we get into that text, that passage that I've read to you, we'll see quite a bit more of the story. Remember, Moses was 40 years old when he set out to deliver Israel, when he turned his back on a kingdom of the wealth and the power of Egypt. And he decided then to uh, throw in with his Hebrew brethren that he would be their deliverer. He expected them, of course, to receive him, but they rejected him. Uh, I don't think that he was surprised when Pharaoh decided to kill him, but at the end of a grand total of two days, Moses was hunted by Pharaoh, was trying to kill him, hated by the children of Israel. Forty years would pass with Moses leading the sheep of his father-in-law Jethro in the land of Midian, when God shows up and tells him then, now it's time. He introduced this story by telling us that God told Moses to take his shoes off, but now we see in our text, God's telling him, okay, put your shoes back on, Moses. It's time to go, and I'm going to send you where? I'm going to send you to Pharaoh. I'm going to send you to the children of Israel. Uh, You'd have to read all the way down to verse 19 of chapter 4 before God tells Moses what I would consider a pretty crucial piece of information. Uh, By the way, Moses, that Pharaoh who was out to kill you has died. And so there's no longer any threat to you there. So Moses would go through this entire encounter with God without knowing that crucial piece of information. As far as Moses knew, God was sending him back to that very Pharaoh who was out to kill him. All the way down in verse 19. 
He certainly knew that he was sending him to the same people who had rejected him. When you think back to what Moses had done 40 years before, it's hard to get past a catastrophic failure like that. Even when the Almighty God tells you to get up and go back. All of us at times struggle with failure. All of us at times will struggle with rejection. It may be a plan you had, a dream that crashed against the rocks and it did so in a very visible manner. And you would look back at that and think about maybe trying to start that again. And you just would have a lot of trouble doing that. It had been so hard, so problematic, so difficult. So many people saw it. I, I, I just couldn't. A relationship perhaps fails and maybe you've tried to put it all back together. Maybe someone has spurned your efforts at restoration. You've tried to apologize and they wouldn't accept it. Or even worse, maybe you confronted them about their wrongdoing and they refused to apologize. You've gone to them maybe again and again trying to make that relationship work and the hope of it ever happening has died in your heart after 40 years or so, four decades, you know. It's a little late now going back, trying to redo it. It's particularly difficult in the Lord's work. And those who serve God often encounter rejection and failure. It's why the attrition rate is what it is in pastoral ministry in America today. So many people go through a horrible time of failure and rejection and they just can't get back. So as God comes to Moses and says, Moses, it's time to go back. It shouldn't surprise us then that God is sending him to the very people, Pharaoh, who was out to kill him as far as he knew, the Hebrews who had rejected him. God is sending them right back into that arena. Moses has got a question or two. Does that surprise anybody this morning? Let's uh, look at those questions. The only thing more astonishing than the fact that Moses questioned God was that God answered. (laughs) That's really amazing. Most of the questions, in fact, all of them and objections that he got to, uh, God responded to. Verse 11 of chapter 3, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So he said, I will certainly be with you. And this will be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. And God assured Moses, we'll meet here again. Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai. And of course, uh, if you've had Moses in Bible school or studied much about him, you know about that incredible encounter that is to come. Now Moses is asking some essential questions. And it begins with this one. Who am I? If you're going to serve God, that is an essential question for you to ask. But it is an essential question for us all to ask. Who am I? Who am I? Multitudes, perhaps millions. Who knows how many people in America today are really struggling trying to answer that question. Who am I? Who am I? Forty years before this, Moses would have had quite the resume. Brilliant, highly educated, member of the royal family. Turned all his, ba- his back on all of that in order to try to deliver the Hebrews. Um, quite a resume. 
He was a man of faith, a man of commitment, a man of conviction. He kept on doing what was right. Now Moses is at 80 and God has called him and sending him back into that arena. And he asked God then, who am I? Let's remind ourselves this morning that as God's people, we cannot accurately answer that question without considering what God has made us to be. What God has made us to be. And in fact, that creative power of God is going to come up in this very narrative as we'll see it this morning. If God would have wanted you to be somebody different, don't you think he'd have made you somebody different? Now, I've thought about that a time or two. I always wanted to be about three inches taller and have straight hair and dark complexion. That's what I wanted. Uh, that would have made me a, just an inch or so taller than my brother. And uh, that was really important to me. Uh, it didn't happen, though. And, and, and I've learned to live with what it was. I would sing higher or lower. I hate being a baritone. I want to be a tenor or bass. I mean, anything like that. But, you know, if God would have wanted me to be something like that, he would have made me differently. I like to think he gave me a voice that works really good for preaching which is what he had called me to do. You see, God has made us to be what he wants us to be, but then we're also recreated in Christ Jesus. So that when we're saved, now we can say with Paul, the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, and I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. That's Philippians 4, 13. So how does God answer Moses' question, who am I? No big surprise here. Verse 12, God said, I will certainly be with you. <laughs> Isn't that a great response? Who am I? Well, let me tell you who you are. You're the one I'm going to be with in the task that I'm sending you to do. Oh, the devil loves to bring up our past failures, especially when God is calling us to move or, or when God is calling us to work or, or God is sending us on some task. Oh, he loves to remind us of the times we tried before and it failed, the times we tried before and we worked and it didn't work out for us, the time that we failed or maybe the time that somebody else has failed and, and it's just worked so hard on us. But the story of God's people in the scripture, and even today, is of the great things that can be accomplished by sinful, frail, weak people like you and I, who then are filled with the power of God. And you know that's going to be happening right up into the end. I looked this week at Daniel 11. It's a famous prophecy. And Daniel, Jesus quoted from it when he spoke of the abomination of desolation and the Olivet Discourse. And that's Daniel 11. And in Daniel 11, though, where he's talking about these events that were going to happen, some of them historical, some of them prophetic, as he talked about what was going on in the world gone mad. Daniel said this, verse 32. And such as do wickedly uh, against this covenant shall he corrupt by flatteries. But the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. Daniel 11.32. Don't think God is going to quit working as we get closer and closer to the coming of our Lord and Jesus, Savior Jesus Christ. We don't have to lock ourselves in the closet and wait for the trumpet to sound. The people of God will be strong, Daniel said, and do exploits. God has incredible things ahead of us as God's people. It's a time, as Jesus said, for us to lift up our heads. For our redemption draws nigh. To work for the night is coming when no man can work. 
Many of God's people have had the testimony and opportunity, as one writer said of Daniel, that he had the unique opportunity to have done the best of things in the worst of times. And that might be our testimony as well. Who am I? That's a question we need to answer. And we can only answer that as we remind ourselves of the incredible truth that the mighty Spirit of God lives in us as believers and God will never leave us nor forsake us. So it's not just us, but it's you and 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 me and God is with us. That's what God said to Moses when he said, who am I? Well, you're the man I'm going to be with in the task that I'm sending you to do. I'm with you. Then he asked, well, who are you? That's another great question. Who am I? And then who are you, God? Then Moses said to God, indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say to me, well, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. This is the word that we know as Jehovah uh, would be spelled Yahweh. You say, how is it pronounced? We really don't know. The reason that we don't know that is because Hebrew was originally written without vowels. It only had, and later they added vowel uh, pointing so you could kind of see what it was. Uh, the way they knew what a what a word sounded like was uh, they said it, they pronounced it. And if it was never spoken aloud, then it's really kind of difficult for them to know how it was said. You see, they, they didn't speak the name of God aloud. This name they considered to be a holy name of God. God said, don't take my name in vain. And if they were reading and they came to that word in Scripture, they would either substitute the, the name uh, Adonai, which means Lord or, or oftentimes they would simply just say the word and everybody knew what they were talking about. <laughs> the name of God. This was the name that God gave Moses. We know what it means. It refers to his eternal existence. I am that I am. I am. Not I will be or I used to be. I am. But it's more than that. It refers to how the eternal God interacts in our time, our moment-by-moment existence. The dimension of time is being studied by astrophysicists, and it's causing them to make a lot of intriguing speculations. And it seems like all uh, more and more we run into people who believe that time travel is real. Uh, but then some people also believe in zombies and werewolves, and I, so I'm... I'm, I'm not really, really ready just uh, uh, to take a Facebook poll and decide whether it's true or not. Uh, what I know is that God reveals himself as the eternal I am. And that means he transcends time. He lives in a world without time, in the eternal. And yet he can and does interact in our time. And that's really what he was saying to Moses. And uh, although Moses probably wouldn't have thought about it just that way. What he was saying to Moses is that I am that I am. He was saying that not only am I with you, but that I can be in your presence at all times. I can't be in two places at the same time. But God can be everywhere at the same time. 
What Moses needed to know at that moment was very practical. So God was with him and he got that, I am with you. And by the way, my name is I am. And so we get these two things well down in our program. We program this into our hard drive. We pull it up a lot. Who am I? Uh, well, that can only be answered by the child of God by considering the fact that Jesus Christ lives in us, that we've been recreated in him, and that wherever I go, he is with me. And then we also answer the question, who God is? Well, he's the eternal, omnipresent, omnipotent, omniscient God of all glory. And he lives inside of us and promised us, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And if we spend a day, a day, if we spend even a few moments of our life, if we sit out on a course of action, whatever it might be, whether it's of a secular nature or of a spiritual nature, we set out on a course of action, whatever it might be. We live a moment, we live a day without factoring in the fact that I have been recreated in Christ Jesus and the eternal God lives inside of me. If I'm living my life without factoring in the fact that God is with me, that I am, that I am is with me always, then folk, we're living beneath our privileges as children of God. God intends for us to face every day knowing that he is with us. No wonder the Bible could say, be content with such things as you have. Look what you've got. Walk around with our lips poked out because we don't have a new Cadillac. Oh, yeah, look what you've got. The mighty God lives inside of you. Oh. Who am I? Who are you? Next question. What if they don't believe me? Exodus 4 and 1. Then Moses answered and said, But suppose they'll not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say, The Lord has not appeared to you. Now we might understand why Moses was a little concerned. They didn't listen to him when... He was coming to them as the prince of Egypt, well known to them. Now he's been gone for 40 years. He's an 80-year-old man, comes in saying that God appeared to him in a burning bush and talked to him. Well, why wouldn't they believe that? What if they don't believe me? This question prompts some controversy. Many translations have it as we see it, a possibility. What if they don't believe? Others present it as a stated fact, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice as if Moses had already made up his mind. Uh, either way, there's, this whole thing is no doubt fueled by Moses' experience of rejection in the past. God would specifically send him to the elders of Israel to speak to them his promises Showing them then Moses' specific calling as a prophet of God. When God called Ezekiel, he told him that the people would not listen to him. Did the same thing to Jeremiah. But so specifically and so clearly, God told Ezekiel, Ezekiel, I'm sending you to my people. And they will not 
listen. But in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 18, God said this to Moses, they will listen to your voice. And you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Moses, they will listen. But even with this promise, Moses needed more convincing. And so God gave, them, gave him three signs that he would use. Two of them were in the moment. I mean, they happened immediately. And that tells me they were as much for Moses as they were for the people of God. The third sign was one that was going to play out later. And so we'll consider them that order. The first involved his shepherd's staff as God asked him, Moses, what is that in your hand? And he said, it's a staff. And God told him to throw it down. And so he threw it down. And when he threw his shepherd's staff down, it became a serpent. And Moses fled from it. Amen, Moses. And then God told him to pick it up again by the tail, which is not the way normally you would pick up a snake. If you ever wanted to pick up a snake, it would not be how you would do it. And when he picked it up, though, as God told him to, the obedient way, it became his shepherd's staff again. But it would never be just a shepherd's staff. Not a single time from that moment afterwards in Exodus chapter 4 and verse 20 then Moses took his wife and his sons and set them on a donkey and he returned to the land of Egypt and Moses took the rod of God in his hand no longer would it be called Moses staff Moses rod uh-uh. now it's the rod of God and every time that rod touched something a miracle happened The second sign, interestingly, moved then to the hand that held that rod. So then in verse 6, God told him to put the hand in his bosom, and it became infected when he pulled it out with an advanced stage of leprosy. Now, you might think that God was telling him to put his hand inside his chest cavity. That was not what he was telling him to do. You remember in Luke chapter 6, Jesus said, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down and shaken together and running over, shall men give into your bosom, Jesus said. And the bosom there referred to the pouch inside their cloak, as they would call it. We'd call it a coke. Uh, the place normally where they kept their money, where their pocketbook would be. And so there inside of his cloak, there would be an opening. He could reach in there, and they called that the bosom because it was there close to his chest. And Moses would then put his hand inside his coat, and when he pulled it out, it was infected with advanced leprosy. Advanced leprosy. Then he put it back in. And when he brought it out, it was restored and whole. Moses then had a sign that affected the staff and the hand that held it. Two of them. Two signs that God was with him. Two signs that God was working them. And what is that in your hand? I could preach all day on that. There's so much preaching to be done. But 
Then in verse 9, notice the last of the signs. And again, this would be one that he would use later because he was commanded to take water from the river. That's the Nile and pour it out on the ground. And when he did, it wasn't water anymore. It was blood. But now the signs that Moses got was the rod, the rod of God and the hand that held it. And so we saw earlier that Moses would put his wife and his two boys on a donkey. God has sent him to go meet with Pharaoh and the children of Israel. There he goes, the man of God, God's mighty deliverer, to take on the most powerful king in the world and the most powerful army in the world and to stand before people who had rejected him and hated him. There he goes. What's he got? A donkey, his wife and two kids, and a stick. And he's not long before he's going to send his wife and two kids back home to daddy. Now they'd reunite later. Not sure exactly when that transpired, but some point he sent them back. So it's, now it's just Moses, the man of God, <laughs> and the rod of God. What does that tell you? God thought about the most powerful ruler on the planet. What did God think about the most powerful army on the planet? Here he goes. The man is going to win the victory. What's he got? The rod of God and the hand that holds it. You think he's going to win? <laughs> yes, he will. Not because of Moses, but because of the presence of God. What an incredible story we have before us to remind us of what can be accomplished when God is with us. And working in us. No wonder the Bible says greater is he that is in you. Than he that is in the world. Moses questions. Then Moses raised a couple of objections. Verse 10. Moses said to the Lord. Oh my Lord I am not eloquent neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant. But I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. And so the Lord said to him. Who's made man's mouth? Or who makes the mute? The deaf? The seeing? Or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. But he said, O oh my Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. What did Moses mean by that? He said, please send somebody else. You see, Moses had thought this over before. He had had 40 years to think about it. And he had apparently decided that the reason he had been rejected was because he was slow of speech and slow of tongue. The Egyptians, as most cultures do, especially educated ones, revered those people who had the ability to speak and speak clearly and communicate well. 
And he didn't feel like he had done that. He didn't have that. What it meant for Moses to be slow of speech and slow of tongue is as a mystery to us as what Paul's thorn in the flesh was. We don't know. Something affected his speech. Was he a stutterer? We don't know. Some suggest he had a cleft palate. We don't know. Some suggest that it's as simple as Moses had learned the language of the Egyptians at one time, but it had been so long ago that speaking it was difficult for him, and he spoke slowly, kind of like me when I try to speak Spanish. No habla española. I have to think carefully. Could have been that. Don't know. We do know what Stephen said about Moses in Acts 7.22. said he was mighty in words and deeds. Whatever was wrong with Moses that affected his speech was something, though, that God knew very well. It was not a surprise. He had made Moses. And also we see that God did not heal him of whatever was wrong. It would have been very easy for God to have said, Well, here, let me fix this problem you've got. Remember when Isaiah said, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. Remember God sent an angel to go down to the altar and take a live coal and bring it and lay it on Isaiah's lips. God healed Isaiah's problem. He purified his lips for him. You got unclean lips. Let me, let me fix that for you. But did he do that for Moses? No. No, he didn't. All he told Moses, well, of course you're slow of speech. I made you slow of speech. I, I, I made you with that lisping tongue. I, I know what you are. And so Moses Having so carefully thought about this all these years, well, the reason why they rejected me, the reason they didn't listen to me apparently was because I don't speak good. And so, God, if you're not going to heal me of this, just send somebody else. Verse 14, so the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And so God said, Moses, don't you have a brother? (laughs) (laughs) That's not what he said. Is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well. And look, he is also coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he'll be glad in his heart. Now you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth. And I'll teach you what you shall do. So he shall be your spokesman to the people. And he himself shall be as a mouth for you. And you shall be to him as God Notice what verse 27 says. Just just pay attention. God said to Moses, your brother Aaron's already on the way. But we have to read all the way down to verse 27. And the Lord said to Aaron. You see, God met with Aaron too. And the Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. And he went and met him in the mount of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord who had sent him and all the signs which he had commanded him. Aaron down in Egypt, God appeared to him. Before Moses even brought up the fact that he couldn't speak well. Aaron was already on the way. Behold, Aaron's on the way, God said. Which meant that God had already talked to him, told him to go meet Moses. Isn't it amazing that God had already worked this whole thing out 
I wonder how many times we stand before God complaining and griping about something that God already has worked out. Here's where the enemy, though, gets the best of God's people again and again and again and again. This this speech problem apparently looms so large in his life that he just couldn't get past it. I can't do this. The world's mightiest kingdom and the mightiest army was not an intimidation to God at all. I'll send a man with a rod in his hand and he'll take care of them. Moses' disability then was not intimidating to God either. So we learned a couple of things, great things this morning. Neither the strength of the enemy nor the weakness of God's people is a threat to God's purposes. God can deal with both. But oh, how the enemy loves to convince us of otherwise Look what's wrong with you. Look what all you've done wrong. How could you be used of God? How could God have anything for you? Well, look at you. Look where you've been. Look what you've done. Oh, the enemy loves to do this. It's why we're so frequently defeated by past failures. It's the times that we tried and it didn't work. The times that we fail, the times that we just flat out messed up, the times that we made bad choices, the time where some weakness or some failure in our life, and so we spend our lives thinking, oh, if God would just heal me. Oh, if God would just change me. If God would just take this away from me. God, if you'd just, if it wasn't for this, But you see, our story as believers is not in just as I am. It's really not our story. It's a great hymn, but it's not our story. Our story is I am is with me. I am is with me. Not just as I am, but I am is with me. So 40 years before, when Moses thought he was ready to deliver Israel, he wasn't ready. 40 years later, when he thought he wasn't ready, he was. So what did he do? Put his wife and his kids on a mule, grab the rod of God, say, here we go. Put his shoes back on, (laughs) of course. Went and told his father Jethro, we're headed out. Jethro said, okay. There he goes. God's mighty champion. Doesn't look like much, does he? God's going to win the victory with that. Take a good long look in the mirror. None of us look like much. The enemy, the enemy. Oh, they look so strong. It looks so numerous. Sometimes you students go to school and it seems like everybody, everybody. I used to say that a lot when I was your age too. Mom, everybody's doing this. Everybody's doing that. We're, it seems so big, so strong, so huge. Who am I? 
Well, let me tell you who you are. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're the one that the great I am is in you. You're the one that God has promised, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. If you're a believer in Christ, you're the one that God is going to work through. And wherever he sends you, whatever he has for you to do. If you're a believer in Christ, then you're on the side of victory. We're on the winning team. And God can use you. Not just like you are. But because he has made you and recreated you in Christ Jesus, then God can use you. And he will. You got questions? Ask them. God's not intimidated by our questions either. But I beg you today, don't give up before you start. If God tells you to put your shoes on and go, put your shoes on and go. But this is for those who are believers in Christ. Maybe you're not one of those. There'll never be a better day than today for you to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ that you might be saved. Jesus went to the cross, died for our sins, was buried, rose again the third day. And he gives forth a simple, simple plan. Whosoever believeth in me should not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus called that being born again. And like our physical birth, that happened at a specific moment in time and a date. We can look back then on our physical birth and say, yeah, I discovered America this then, uh, just at that moment in time. Yeah, I was born. You know, the new birth is a lot like that. Can you go back to that time when you received Jesus Christ as your Savior, where you asked him to save you? I'm not talking about when you went to church. I'm not talking about what your parents did when you were a baby, when they took you in and got you baptized. I'm not talking about any of those things. I'm asking you, can you go back in your mind to that time? Where you asked Jesus Christ to save you and you knew down in the depths of your soul that you were saved. You remember that time. Oh, if you haven't had that moment, there is nothing in this world that's more important than for you to have that moment. Because when you have that, then that's when the mighty Spirit of God changes you from the inside of out. That's when the Spirit of God takes up residence in your life. That's when God says, I am with you. Do you have that testimony today that the great I am is with you and in you? Let's stand together, please.